0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content.
1: Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron.
0: Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Rick Suarez. Rick is the Senior Vice President for U.S. Market Access at AstraZeneca. Rick, first of all, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, I'm really, I'm Rick. I have to say, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. When you start talking about innovative contracting methods and how it can bring value to, to in the you know in the world that we work in, you know to the veterans and to healthcare uh, across the board, we're going to be talking about value based uh, in, initiatives, value based contracting, and in, in the healthcare world, and particularly pharmaceuticals. Um, but first i, I want to give you a chance to talk a little about your background and how you came to astrazeneca and then a little yeah, bit about astrazeneca it's itself okay
2: great great well i'm I'm happy to share and it's a pleasure to be speaking specifically to your audience individuals who have given so much to their country and so much uh to th- this world and it's great to be able to provide some perspective in the long run um as i shared before uh, my name is rick suarez and it's uh, I came to AstraZeneca over 20 years ago. I was a cardiovascular researcher by training and uh, worked on hopefully changing how we treat cardiovascular disease in the future was what my passion was early on. I was able to pivot my interest in careers joining the pharmaceutical industry and started my, my role off at AstraZeneca back in the day as a sales representative affording me the opportunity to see um, 20 years ago, albeit how physicians are making decisions around uh, drug choices, drug regimens, and how do we ensure that we're making the appropriate decisions so that patients are getting the the maximum or the optimal care. Uh, So it's been an exciting journey here with AstraZeneca, and I've really enjoyed Taking on different positions within leadership here at AstraZeneca uh, to um, ultimately run the market access division of the company now.
0: Right, it's, it it sounds like yeah you've had a number of different positions, and that's I think I always have found in talking to folks, um, you know, with your experience and background and at your level, that um, having done many different things within an organization um, gives you perspective. That, that, that sort of informs your approach to the market and what you look at and lends itself to you know initiatives like uh, value-based uh, agreements to support healthcare care. And, and again, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but I, I also wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about AstraZeneca itself.
2: Yeah, absolutely and to tie those two things together. Um, when I joined AstraZeneca, uh, the remit that I had given myself was how can I make a difference in healthcare. coming from the research side of, of the, um, the business? How do I make a difference at AstraZeneca to ensure that the right product is being put in the right hand of the right patient? But if you go through the years of experiences that I had in different roles, I also started to see and learn the obstacles that patients face in receiving those medicines. That could be affordability. That could be drug coverage. And that can be how the drug is reimbursed through the healthcare ecosystem. So my journey in AstraZeneca has been one that has really opened my eyes to really, at the end of the day, um, will a patient get access to medicine or not? The brilliance of AstraZeneca specifically, to give you some background, it's truly a science-led biopharmaceutical company. And many organizations say that, but what's so special about AstraZeneca is we really are leading with science in, in three therapeutic areas where arguably we have provided some of the most, I would say, impressive and breakthrough solutions for patients, specifically within oncology, cardiovascular disease, renal metabolic, and respiratory. AstraZeneca operates in over 100 countries, innovates medicines around the world, but we're very focused in on that individual patient, ensuring that they have new innovations that are going to prolong their life and hopefully change their lives. When I marry those two things up, my experiences, what I have, my responsibilities today running market access, and what AstraZeneca brings to each and every community, it affords me the opportunity to look at new ways of addressing the healthcare ecosystem and the challenges associated with that. And that's how value-based arrangements come into play.
0: So, yeah. And listening to that description, when you talk about market access, I think that's one of the goals of value-based uh, agreements to create additional access um, for the patient to new sort of tailored medicines and, and addressing the cost and that sort of thing. So um, let's dive into, into what it is. Uh, so first of all, can you give a, like overall sort of big picture view for the listeners of what a value-based uh, agreement looks like or what it is, quite frankly, in, in the healthcare world?
2: Absolutely. There are many versions of what you and others will understand as value-based agreements. I think that in the most simple fashion, those are agreements between a pharmaceutical manufacturer like AstraZeneca and payer and health systems working to, together to move from a traditional reimbursement model. That's usually based on volume, like how, much, um, how many prescriptions uh, run through a payer, and that volume oftentimes will then have a discount applied to it how do we move from that traditional reimbursement model to a model that's based on the value of the medicine to the patient or value of the medicine to that healthcare ecosystem so a common type of value-based arrangement is an outcomes-based contract where reimbursement is directly tied to how the medicine performed clinically
0: right and Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I I, I've been studying up for this for this interview, Rick. I have to confess, Uh, I am a (laughs) lay person. So, but and you talked about uh, AstraZeneca being, you know, a a sort of science based uh, company, uh, you know that leads and is very science scientifically focused in your research and development. And one of the you know the the things I've heard described about the current sort of approach that you described, like, you know, volume, discount, traditional sort of contracting, um, is that, that contracting and the agreements and the structure of how we acquire uh, medicines and treat patients, the, the, those structures and agreements haven't caught up with the science. Is that, you know, I, that, that's something that sort of struck me. They're given you know some some of the tailoring now that can be done with medicines for individuals, and, and how you you know account for that and deal with that in both from you know the payer um, and the supplier perspective.
2: Yes, I, I, there's a lot there, and I think it's a very interesting question from this perspective. One can arguably say the benefit designs that have been put in place in commercial insurance, Medicare, and others have not really been designed to think about curative medicines in what used to be diseases that absolutely someone was going to die from any day. You've got curative diseases in some regards in cancer, in blindness, in a variety of different areas where these costly innovations are coming to market. But the benefit design puts a significant portion of -of out-of-pocket cost on patients or the system hasn't been built to ensure that there are funds to cover those innovations. So it's a, it's a really big question. It really depends on the segment of business that we're talking about. For example, a Medicare patient today, based on the way Medicare is designed, for a specialty product can pay an out-of-pocket um, portion of a drug's cost anywhere from 25 to 35% of a drug cost. Is that really the best thing for Medicare patients? Arguably, one would say no. So, there are legislations that are being proposed in a scenario like that where we, as a branded pharmaceutical organization and as an innovator of these medicines, are really talking to the government about finding ways to cap out of pocket costs for Medicare patients. Things like that would start to. provide the right changes in benefit design that can afford patients access to medicines. Specifically to the topic at hand that we're talking about here, there are also arrangements that we can put into the marketplace through value-based arrangements or outcomes-based arrangements that can start to tackle some of those out-of-pocket costs that the patient's experiencing, putting some more responsibility on us as as manufacturers, as well as the payer who is adjudicating that prescription.
0: Right. It's and part of it is, it sounds to me too, you, you're sort of, it's an allocation of risk or a shared risk approach in some sense, right? About how well the drug performs and addressing certain diseases and, and allocating the risk to, to, to account for the cost as well. Is that, am I, am I getting it right a little bit?
2: Absolutely, and if if yeah, and if you'd like, um, do you want me to give you a a, a basic example of yeah. one of the ones that Rick, we've done? Why don't you that do that when we get their head around?
0: Yeah, why don't we do that? We'll go. We'll do that basic example and talk a little bit more about some of the details of value-based uh, uh, agreements and contracts uh, when we come back from the break. We're already up on the first break. Rick, guys, uh, go. Uh, fascinating stuff. My guest today is Rick Suarez. He is senior vice president, U.S. Market Access at AstraZeneca. I'm Roger Waldron, and you are listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Rick Suarez. He's Senior Vice President, U.S. Market Access uh, at AstraZeneca. And we're talking about value-based agreements um, as a key tool or in the toolbox to support Healthcare, um, especially with the ever-evolving uh, capabilities and science and and, and the cures that um, companies like AstraZeneca have have been able to come up with to 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 cure diseases um, and address um, outcomes and improve outcomes for patients. So, uh, Rick, um, when we took the break, um, you were about to give us an example of a, of a value-based agreement and how it really works. Um, at a high level, so I'm just gonna go at it. Let us. What is it, how does it work?
2: <laughs> Absolutely, so that, is so that the audience understands uh, the simplicity and elegance of these types of arrangements. I wanna give you one that AstraZeneca, as well as ESI, Ex- Express Scripts Incorporated, were very public about. Uh, the advent of new innovative cancer therapies um, is, I would say, arguably one of the most exciting Parts of the uh, industry now. We are seeing breakthroughs in the types of diagnoses that we have never seen before ovarian cancer, um, prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer, and uh, high advancements in the treatment of breast cancer. But there are still many agents that have been around for years that make a significant difference for for cancer patients. And one of those drugs, by the name of Aressa, um, it's an AstraZeneca product where ExpressScript Incorporated asked us, what can we do with this product whereby we are providing a volume discount uh, to ESI so that they in turn can provide it to their downstream clients? As I said in the earlier segment, this is a very traditional approach to how a payer and manufacturer work together to provide access to patients downstream. But we changed the conversation this time, and this is AstraZeneca's Um, entry into value-based arrangements within the oncology space. A space that many people said, you're never going to see that. It's too hard to measure. Well, for us at AstraZeneca, we said we will find a way to measure. We grounded ourselves in the very science of ARESA, a product that had been around for several years, and two uh, randomized controlled trials that really supported that product coming to market. I won't get into all the scientific detail, but at the end of the day, when you take a look at two of the randomized clinical trials, we understood that a patient would have a progression-free survival of their disease around nine to 10 months. We talked to ESI about how do patients in this class of drug use called TKI um, use the product? How often are they discontinuing the product? And in this dialogue between a manufacturer and a payer, we were able to come up with a point to measure around a patient's discontinuation of ARESA. And the point that we were measuring is this. If the patient discontinued the use of ARESA by the third month, meaning they did not fill their third prescription, then we, AstraZeneca, have realized we did not do well by this patient as it relates to the scientific promise that comes with our label or our clinical research. So in partnership with ESI, we said, based on the number of patients that you tell us did not fill their third prescription, we will give you a 100% refund of the medicine that, that has been purchased. That was our way of showing true risk to the payer and also, ultimately, to the healthcare ecosystem that we are standing behind the science of our drug. I'll pause there for any question you have, but I will want to talk a little bit more about taking on real financial risk and why this is important in value-based arrangements.
0: That's one measure, and I'd be uh, one way to measure it, and, um, you know, I know in a value-based uh, approach you, you, you can develop algorithms, I, I mean, a lot of it is around data, so I will have questions on that, but I'm going to let you continue uh, your line of thought.
2: Absolutely. So if you follow through the execution of these value-based arrangements, we found that every two in 10 patients were not getting the type of outcome that we would have expected utilizing our product for a variety of reasons. That's not to say that the product isn't performing. On the flip side, 80% of the patients are getting exactly what is expected that we've seen within the, the randomized control trials or more. However, for those two out of 10 patients, we did pay a 100% refund of the cost of that drug. It's critical that we structure these agreements to demonstrate to payers that we take our role seriously in reducing their expenditures if agreed upon outcomes are not met. So we know that for payers to be incentivized to move along with us towards a more value-based healthcare system, they have to see value in the agreement. These are the types of examples that we use to show that by fully reimbursing when the medicine doesn't work, really shows our commitment to patients and to the healthcare ecosystem.
0: And are those, in that, in that type of approach, you know, the third party obviously is the patient. So does that, and, and the benefits there is increases access to the, to the drug um, and does, and ultimately do, you, do this, does the savings in part get passed on to the patient as well?
2: In multiple ways. Most of these agreements have been very focused on securing patient access. So that's ensuring that ESI, in this example, um, is providing access to our medicines and then delivering the best outcomes for patients. Now, our ambition is that more and more of these agreements evolve to support greater patient affordability and also including a payer um, providing that share savings with the patient. That's going to that's going to be based on how the payer-patient relationship is designed and how the benefits are designed, meaning the actual benefits purchased by the employee in a commercial segment or through um, government in a Medicare or Medicare Advantage plan. However, what can't be be missed in that statement is there's absolutely value being brought to the system by this value-based arrangement, and that is savings from additional use of healthcare, hospitalization, other treatments, or more office visits. The great thing about value-based arrangements is that when the drug works, you are inherently providing a significant savings Right, overall you've cured the person so that that they don't have term, to go to
0: the, to the hospital anymore or go visit the doctor, right? That reduces the cost to, cur- the, to the patient and to the system overall.
2: Uh, Correct, and I I wish I could use a word with cure. That's a a word we would love to use. I'm a layperson, so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I also, it's a a dream that we all have of being able to cure cancer. But you're absolutely right that you've brought such benefit to the system that, overall, there are savings all around. And, in turn, that will then decrease um, patients' um, out-of-pocket costs or patients' premiums in the long run.
0: Right, so it sounds to me that what what you've described too is it's not it just doesn't. There's the agreement and stru- how you structure the agreement, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that prep in this in the in the next segment. We talk about some of the challenges and opportunities there and how you structure them a little bit. But also from what you described, listening to it, is that it's something that downstream too, outside of the agreement, uh, how reimbursement it does and how coverage is structured. Um, This could have a, a, you know, a ripple effect or evolutionary effect of the way, you know, healthcare is delivered and paid for and, you know, um, uh, through all the different channels. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. And it also requires investments on behalf of the payers. If you think about to successfully execute these types of arrangements, they require insurers and providers to have systems in place to report measures like adherence and readmission. Um, while many of our customers are changing to meet the needs of the evolving health care system and environment here, this will continue to take time. But as we as manufacturers and as payers evolve, they will then also be able to measure the overall savings that an investment in a innovative product brought to the healthcare ecosystem.
0: Right, and is this? It's. I mean, getting back to, I may ask the question about catching up. This, you know, the agreements and how the structure catching up to the science. Is this something that the more science is able to tailor drugs to individuals, um, you know, to to the des, I mean, a designer or whatever. That that I that I've read about that you know really target that individual and based on their um, you know w- what they need and what their body needs um, is it you know, I mean it seems to me this would help you know expand that is that is that correct Yeah, I,
2: that's a that's a really really good question. What I'd like to add there is that is the promise of a value based arrangement or an outcomes based arrangement, whatever word we'd like to prefer because if you think about the criteria that can be used in the design of a value-based arrangement, you can include things such as identifying the right patient type, the right, right mutation as it relates to cancer mutations. There's a host of parameters that can be used, and as long as we can measure those, they can be incorporated into that type of structure. I'll give you a quick example. We have a product by the name of Digresso at AstraZeneca. When that product first launched, it is ideally for a patient with a T790 mutation. Again, not to have a science lesson here, but what that affords us to do through a value-based arrangement is to ensure that as part of that, patients are being tested to see if they have the mutation, to see if that would be a good investment um, for that patient to take said medicine. So the advent of personalized medicine as well as diagnostics, plays a key role on ensuring that we are providing patients with the right medicine. that's it's also reducing waste in the healthcare system.
0: Right, uh, and Rick, you know what? We're already up on the break. Um, when when we come back, I'm, I'm going to continue the discussion. I also want to get into some of the challenges that you see out there. You know, to growing the ecosystem for. Uh, value-based agreements. My guest today is Rick Suarez. He's Senior Vice President, U.S. Market Access at AstraZeneca. I am Roger Waldron, and you are listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Rick Suarez, Senior Vice President, U.S. Market Access at AstraZeneca, and we're talking about Value-based agreements in healthcare, uh, and Rick, when we took the ba- uh, took the break, excuse me, um, we uh, I brought up the issue of challenges in in structuring these and being able to deliver the healthcare efficiently, effectively, and so I wanted to get your sense of what those what you see those challenges are and how you you are you guys are tackling them.
2: Absolutely. I think it's important to address the challenges. First of all, value based arrangements are just one way for us to address some of the healthcare costs in the marketplace and really show how innovative medicines bring value to the healthcare ecosystem. But we are also working in an environment where we are operating by the rules that we have been put in place. That means how. The uh, government has looked at or considers VBAs and how they're calculated, the role of government pricing, et cetera. So I'll hit one big challenge. For example, uh, the current anti-kickback safe harbor regulation that exists does not expressly address value-based arrangements. Now, you can argue that value-based arrangements weren't really popular when this was first written, um, but it remains silent on it. That lack of clarity in application of the safe harbor uh, to VBA's really creates a regulatory uncertainty that, for many, discourages broader implementation in the public sector programs. Um, then you can say that. There's and as that, be, Rick, that
0: just exist. just a, uh, and that's the the, the anti the concept that you're going to be returning money, right to to whether it's the um, the manager, the you know the PBM or whoever that you, and whether that. Gets in the way because it's a because um, it's a kickback or, or viewed to that under the law is that the issue?
2: It yeah, it's re- it's referring to yes the the exchange of money between a yes. manufacturer um, and a payer or manufacturer and the government or if you are putting any type of arrangement in place which would induce. Um, the Government to spend more on a product than it really should there's a host of things that fall under the anti kickback safe harbor, yeah. which mm-hmm. then we as manufacturers have to respect and ensure that we are addressing and and but what makes us successful through this um, through this is that we are putting the patient first, and I feel like every time we put the patient first, you can work through many of these challenges in partnership with the government agencies or in partnership with the payers. Um, To give you a specific example uh, versus going to the other regulatory challenge, but to give you a specific example, in Medicare, we were told there is going to be no opportunity for us to work at bringing a value-based arrangement in Medicare for a host of the regulations that exist in the marketplace. However, in partnership and advice with a um, Medicare-sponsored plan at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, we were able to actually do one. And it's it's very successful for both UPMC as well as for patients. Here's an example. The Valley-based arrangement directly reduced the out-of-pocket cost for patients. And we announced this, so this is public information out there, Um, For Medicare patients who are prescribed a product called Berlinta, this is an oral antiplatelet that demonstrates a relative risk reduction of 16% for another hospitalization or another event. The value-based contract, which came into effect at the beginning of 2019, it was groundbreaking in two ways. The contract lowered the out-of-pocket costs for patients in Medicare that had not been seen before, and it lowered the Medicare out-of-pocket cost for a patient to approximately $10 for a 30-day supply. That is on par, usually, with a generic copay for a Medicare patient. Wow. Secondly, UPMC pays for Berlinta. Will vary, their payment for Berinta will vary based on the patient's outcomes, tying the cost of the medicine to its real-world clinical performance. Now. We had many naysayers saying that you can't do this in Medicare. But what it was demonstrated, and you will see press releases from UPMC, is that they found that there would be value in reducing the obstacle of a patient affording their medicine and ensuring that they received an oral antiplatelet that is demonstrating such risk reduction in the marketplace. Both AstraZeneca and UPMC have been very excited about the results because we believe we are bringing an innovative medicine to patients at quite an affordable cost, removing that barrier of, I can't afford my medicine.
0: Well, that, that, yeah, and that's, that's a great example uh, of structuring the agreement and, and overcoming, you know, regulatory hurdle um, for the greater good. You know, the, uh, one thing I did want to ask you because I'm fascinated because to, in today's world everybody's talking about data and the management of data and how you use that data. And it seems to me, and you know, a lot of what you've described so far on the show, you know, one of the you know the foundations of it is you know measuring, gathering the information, being able to measure it, come up with algorithms, whatever is necessary to figure out how you're going to, you know provide a baseline and then measures to see what the value and the outcome is. Is that is, is that one, one of the biggest challenges that you see in this market?
2: Outside of the regulatory uh, environment that we work through and work in concert with the government, uh, data is a, a challenge on its own. So let me explain what I mean by that. Many times in working with a PBM, large PBM like a Caremark or ESI, yep their models were one designed to manage pharmacy as said by their name, pharmacy benefit managers. So in entering into a value-based arrangement with an entity of, of um, that magnitude, you can imagine that their data is going to be around pharmacy claims, right? Right. Yep. Now, if we're trying to measure an outcome, they are challenged to say, I don't have the medical data for that patient because I don't manage that part of the benefit. Now, that affords us the opportunity to say, well, what type of value-based arrangements can we do with the pharmacy data? But then it's also our ability to partner with them to say, how can you partner with your downstream health plans? A Blue Cross Blue Shield plan, for example, who has all of the pharmacy data and the medical data. It affords us the opportunity to create partnerships. And through those partnerships, you can then have more I would say, detailed measures on how you are producing an overall outcome for patients. We've also entered in an agreement with an organization where we are saying to the payers that you can actually provide that third party your data and let the third party be, be if you would, the mediator to afford us the opportunity to say what data is available and recognize when we say data as a manufacturer we never receive patient specific right. data right yep. so for anyone out there concerned with privacy right. uh all of this all of this data as we say is is um, is deco- is coded in such a way that we only receive numbers and outcomes because it's never about understanding a specific patient per se it's understanding a specific result
0: right that's in and that's that's in a fundamental th- thing right
2: yeah, Absolutely. Privacy is up of utmost importance to the patient as well as to the payer and to the manufacturer. However, this de-identified data, as we call it within our industry, when um, afforded to us and in partnership with either a third-party entity or with a payer, we then get to come up with concepts on what is the availability of their actual data for what is the right value-based arrangement that may help in lowering overall cost and driving outcomes for their patient population,
0: that's fascinating stuff, Rick. And you know what? We're already up on uh, uh, the last break. Uh, when we come back, I, I want to shift gears a little bit, and we can talk about um, you know opportunities in you know federal healthcare. And when I refer to that, I'm talking about supporting the VA, um, DHA, um, the veteran, the warfighter, You know how we can how value-based outcome agreements can be brought um, to bear to support their healthcare treatments. Um, my guest today is Rick Suarez. He's Senior Vice President, U.S. Market Access at AstraZeneca. I am Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Rick Suarez. He's Senior Vice President, U.S. Market Access at AstraZeneca. I'm Roger Waldron. Uh, and Rick, when we took the break, we were talking about challenges with regard to uh, value-based agreements. Um, and you described some, you know, the data issue, some of the data issues, some of the regulatory sort of traditional framework that's been... That exists for who knows how long, with regard to you know you know the healthcare and and acquiring you know pharmaceuticals and paying for them that sort of thing. So, um, but it seems to me more to the point is that you talked a lot about the opportunities and increasing access and creating more efficiencies and for patients and improving patient care. And and I know to me you. Know, the VA, uh, Defense Health Agency, there should be opportunities there in, in this regard as well. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Absolutely. At, at, at the forefront, this is about patients. So a value-based arrangement or outcomes-based arrangement, patients benefit by getting more treatment options at a more affordable price. Payers win by keeping people out of the hospital and paying for good outcomes, For AstraZeneca, value-based agreements afford us the opportunity to demonstrate our full portfolio, the value of our medicines, bringing to patients, and that should be in all segments of the business. It's providing healthcare professionals with greater choice in treating the right patient, and that should be no different for the VA, DOD, or any public program. It's getting the right medicine and helping that patient stay on their prescribed medicine. As I talked about in the last segment... There are challenges, but AstraZeneca is working with a variety of policymakers, including the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, CMMI, to discuss those challenges and bringing potential solutions to the table so that we and other manufacturers can explore the use of these value-based uh, arrangements to the delivery of the drug therapies with goals for improving patient outcomes to all parts. So for us, when we consider the VA and DOD, We believe this is a very important segment for us to be working closely with. The the amount of data that you have from the VA and the DOD perspective is you have both pharmacy and medical data. So it is a huge opportunity for us to work in concert with both entities to find new and novel ways for us to innovate together to serve this important patient population. Now we do believe that there are steps the government has to take to address challenges, so that we ensure that there is nothing that gets in the way of serving the public sector programs.
0: And what what do you think some of those those issues that the government needs to think about?
2: Well, when we when we um, last left off, we talked about providing a little bit more clarity around how the uh, manufacturer's discount as associated with value-based right. arrangement is going to be viewed, be it, as I said, an anti-kickback statute, as well as more uh, complex government price reporting calculations that may not account for price fluctuations that sometimes are associated with VBAs. Um, but honestly, for us, what we'd like to get lawmakers and the government to understand is that in a future system, the default approach should be that pricing and reimbursement for drug therapies... Are tied to patient outcomes and the value that medicine provides. So, therefore, if we can get policies that encourage these arrangements and demonstrate such arrangements with entities like the VA and others, um, we can show how we are reducing and eliminating existing challenges and costs to the system and providing long term success for everyone in the healthcare ecosystem. Right. We look for support as well as from policymakers like. Senator Warren and Cassidy for value-based arrangements—they've demonstrated their interest, and we are really looking to them who are drafting legislation on this to help support the matter.
0: So, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, you, 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 the paradigm shift seems to me is when we started the discussion. You ta- talked about the traditional way—you know, volume buying, discount—and you're really getting trying to change a culture, a, a regulatory framework, and. Even how information is handled to reflect a more performance-based approach to delivering healthcare. It seems to me you know just listening to how how you described it today is that fair?
2: Absolutely. That is is quite fair. Uh, For us at AstraZeneca, and and I'll I'll do one uh, uh, selfless plug. I think that's how you say it. Sure. (laughs) We're leading in this space. Have at it. Go right at (laughs) it. Go for it. (laughs) Yeah, so AstraZeneca is leading in this space. We've entered in nearly 50 agreements across all of our therapeutic areas with PBMs and health plans to stand behind the value of our medicines. And we're having ongoing conversations to explore more and more agreements with PBMs health plans, group purchasing organizations, and hopefully with this discussion as well with the VA and the others. We're committed to exploring innovative solutions to improve patient access and affordability because we want to focus in on the value the medicine brings to patients in the healthcare system. To me, it's a very hard argument for someone to say we're doing anything else than trying to do right by patients as well as do right by promising said outcome associated with our our labels. So for us, we are driving the shift, and we're looking for others to join us because we do believe it can make a significant difference in cost and patients' lives.
0: So, and it, you know, the focus on improving, you know, patient access to innovative new drugs. Um, the one thing, I, the flip side of that, it seems to me too, is that there's, a, 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 which I think is extremely important for yeah, yeah for healthcare is. Maintaining the incentives and keeping incentives for uh, companies like yours to invest in, you know, the next, you know, great technology to, to address, you know, a malady of some sort. And, and it seems to me that out, uh, value-based uh, agreements, it, it, it increases access, but it also I think it, it must also you know, create the framework for incentives for a company like yours to continue to invest and create capabilities to take care of people. Does that make sense?
2: Yes. And, you know, what else makes uh, sense around that statement is that it also teaches us how our products work in the real world. That's a great point. we we, We know there's no single answer, but we do believe that it affords us the opportunity to learn ensure access is provided for patients, produce the outcomes that we said we would, and continuously have a feedback loop in terms of what are the other things that we need to do from an R&D perspective to service you know, the, the population out there and invest in those diseases that have yet to be tackled and hopefully make the strides that we've seen that we even as an organization and the industry have made around cancer treatment. You're seeing the advent of cancer treatments of Individuals who had progression-free survival of 9 to 10 months doubling to 20, 30, uh, you know, 40 months, that, that, that is all associated with us making said investments. And what better way than to say, if we're going to make said investments, we're also going to hold ourselves accountable that those investments translate in the real-world environment. And a value-based arrangement can facilitate that for us.
0: And you know what, Rick, that's a great place to end the show. Um, we're already uh, up at the end of the show um, fascinating stuff. I'd like to have you come back on, you know, in six six months or so, just to give us an update where things are going, how, you know, and how it's evolved, if continuing to grow as a as a tool in the toolbox in in healthcare. So, uh, I want to thank my guest today, Rick Suarez. He is senior vice president, U.S. Market Access at AstraZeneca. And you've been with li- I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the. Federal News Network.
1: You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.